Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. What about these three and O at home Warriors? Three wins in a row for the Warriors, including a humbling of the Memphis Grizzlies on Christmas Day, which in which Clay decided to taunt and make fun of Dylan Brooks, who slipped and kind of fell on his backside and was sliding. A little out of character from Clay there, but the Warriors must be feeling good after that horrendous road trip that we we covered in the last episode but things uh, what is the deal with this home versus away stuff with the warriors how can they look great at home and then look like the worst team in the nba on the road we still haven't figured it out and it's something we talked about last week too and we never really came to a conclusion and i still don't know if there is a conclusion because they could look so good right now i think i said in the last podcast i was like what like what is pointing to the idea that they will even go 500 in this homestand and here they are looking like they're about to go undefeated in the homestand so it's like it doesn't yeah i still i still don't totally understand they have to go on a road trip again and then yeah like so the the way that the nba schedule is working right now so the the road trip that they finished before the memphis game it was a six gamer in which they went one and five and in the losses the closest they were were six points to the Pacers, and then everything else was double digits. Mm-hmm. And in the case of the New York games, both 30-point losses. So you get to the, you know, you get to the thing of, of coming home and you're like, are they even gonna play well? And then we talked about the three-point percentage on defense, where they're the best defensive three-point team in the league percentage-wise at home, and the worst in the entire league on the road. And they come home, they get Memphis on Christmas, and we'll we'll dig a little deeper into that game. Uh, they get, I don't know, a little bit of a gift, I, I, I would say, on Tuesday in, in the Charlotte game. I didn't think they played very well. If they'd played a better team, they'd probably lose. And then they struggle against Utah, but Draymond comes up big in the fourth quarter. Ty Jerome, and we'll talk about him because I think we got to put a little respect on his name. Ty Jerome has a, has, has a great second half. And they are able to squeak out that game. Now, those Hornets and Jazz games are games on the road that they always lose. Really tight. They make a little comeback. It goes into the fourth quarter, last two minutes, and then they blow it. But at home, they they win those two games. So it doesn't really make sense to me, but 
Um, I guess it's just the, the the good home team. You know, people are people say, oh yeah, you know, playing at home, you are more comfortable. You sleep in your own bed, and all those things. And I'm sure all those <laughs> things matter. But they man, do, to the yeah. to the extent of how poorly okay. they play on the road yeah. is, is kind of crazy. Okay, maybe I have something. I feel like the Warriors are kind of a team that fuels off of like the momentum. And, you know, when Steph goes on like a flurry and hits like three threes in the span of like a minute and 30 seconds, Clay does it too. Pool does it too. I think it's easier to go on that when you have the crowd behind you. Chase Center, I mean, as much as we loved Oracle, Chase Center is probably still a top three um, place to play at home where the, the seats are always pretty much sold out and the crowd's pretty into it. And, and there was some stat as well, and Igadala talked about it in Point Forward, where it's like the Warriors commit the most fouls and like take the least amount of free throws. Mm-hmm. And he was saying that like, look, like we don't we don't foul like that that much more than any other team. And then then the free throw thing too, where maybe that's taking them away on the road from going on those runs, and they don't have the crowd behind them because they take themselves out of games pretty quickly on the road, where it's like okay, they realized they were already just going to lose the Knicks game. So they punted it pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. The Nets won as well. So, and at home, they're just not going to do that. I don't think they punt games like that, especially, um, yeah, they don't really, they, and they don't really like sit guys for rest on back-to-backs at home either, except for Clay. We're on, whereas on the road, it's like, okay, Steph, yeah, you could just sit one out. Okay, so let's go back to Christmas because we watched that game together. Big game. Memphis comes out. Uh, with you know, they're pretty confident. We have the the jaw quote, which we didn't even mention in the last show. I forgot to bring it up, which was that he's not worried about anybody in the West, and he's only worried about the Celtics. And Ja, he doesn't have what I would consider a great game, but he does have a really he does have a good game. He just they they gave, they started to give him the three pointer, and he went two for ten, and that was really the only thing he did poorly. He ended up with a, with a lot of shots to get thirty six points, but he had also six turnovers. He's a minus seven, but he's a guy that that team respects. Man, they know they know he's a dude out there, and you watch him, and I like I would. I would sort like he's not quite Allen Iverson yet. You didn't get to experience the Alex uh, Allen Iverson whole thing. The just his, you know, just in awe of him because as a small guy to be able to do what he did on the court was pretty amazing. Ja, he's not yet there in, in Iverson though. You know, when it comes to like efficiency, like he's a better overall uh, efficient scorer than than Iverson was. He doesn't have the defensive sort of highlight prowess where Iverson would just get this dunk and or get this dunk off of a breakaway from a steal and just like feed into everything. But Ja, seven, seven rebounds, eight assists, 36 points. He's an absolute superstar. But nobody else really came to play for his team. We were kind of joking and saying, you know, gosh, I love it when Dylan Brooks shoots. Dylan Brooks, fourth, 12 shooting, one of six from three. He was getting into the the gamesmanship, the taunting, the trash talking with Draymond, with Jordan Poole, with the sideline, with Clay, maybe even a little Joe Lacob sprinkled in there. But he had a poor game. In his poor game, though, I was looking at the numbers. He was only a minus three. I would, I thought he was like he was like the biggest minus on the entire team. But that would actually go to 
uh, Brandon Clark at a minus 16, and then Zaire and uh, Desmond Bain were both minus 14. So they were not losing by a lot when he was on the court. I guess it just felt that way because we were hoping that he was going to do so poorly. But uh, Jaron Jackson with dumb fouls, taking him out of the game, and he's a guy who plays really well against the Warriors because he's athletic and he's big. Uh, but yeah, man, like the Warriors just come out, no Steph, no Wiggins, and Jordan Poole comes out hot. He uh, he he sort of uh, his first quarter was was his best quarter by far. And I feel like he didn't really play that well in the second and third quarters, but his first quarter was so big that it kind of carried it. Clay, yeah. do you know that Clay went three from three for twelve from three that game. That <laughs> three for twelve. Me. My guy had as many shots from three as Dante DiVincenzo had from the field. And Dante made five threes in this game. Um, but yeah, you know, what, what, looking back, you know, we're about uh, not not quite a week out, about four or five days out from that game. When you sort of think about that game and how it relates to the Warriors season so far, what are your sort of uh, Monday morning quarterback thoughts on that game? Um, I think that, you know, we talk about the Warriors getting up for those type of games, the ABC slash ESPN, the big opponent that tra- talks trash to you, like the Warriors will uh, make sure that those games are competitive, even if they're bad. And I wouldn't credit this game all to that, but I think there was some, you know, outside noise, the jaw quote that we haven't said yet. Um, and I don't know. I think they just kept came prepared for this one. And it's relying on like Poole having that first quarter. If Poole doesn't have that first quarter, like I don't know if how how well that game plays out for them. Do you also know, and I wouldn't have predicted this, DiVincenzo was a minus nine in that game. Kind of yeah, amazing because the Warriors won by what uh 14. Uh the the best the, the best in the plus minus. Jerome at plus 23 and and Jonathan Kaminga at plus 21. I thought, you know what I thought was pretty interesting? So Dante DiVincenzo, obviously not on the team last year, didn't go through that six-game series where these teams just looked like they hated each other. He stepped in and, you know, he played on a really good Bucks team, so he was not sort of uh, bothered by that limelight that you're talking about where the Warriors get get up big for, for these games. John Conchar and Santi Aldama were the sixth and seventh guys off the bench for the Grizzlies. And I I don't remember. Were they on that team last year? I believe Conchar was. Actually, I think both of them were. Were, Okay, so they both were on that team. They just didn't get as much run last year as so, so far it looks like this year then. Yeah. And I mean, Melton was there. Maybe pushes one of them out of the rotation. I forget who else was pushed. Zaire was hurt a lot in the beginning of the year. He's just getting ramped back up into the rotation, so maybe he pushed them out too. Yeah, so Conchar has been with Memphis for four years now. But yeah, I don't really remember him playing that much. But Mm -hmm. he's the sixth man, and he gets 20 minutes. And then you um, you get Aldama, who was also on that team last year, though, uh, he he didn't play uh, all that much. He he only played uh, 32 games, 11 minutes a game. But they're thrust into this. Uh, so what we were, what what would we have been told is is a deeper Memphis team. And you know you you push down someone like Brandon Clark. You push down Tyus Jones. You push down Xavier Tyler. 
Um, yeah, Xavier Tillman didn't play. David Roddy didn't play. And those were guys that we saw in the playoffs last year. Roddy is a rookie, I believe. Oh, is he a rookie? Yeah. Where did I, I see wait, him then? I think. Yeah, you're right. He is a rookie. Okay. Uh, I think, uh, was he in the California Classic? Is that where... I saw him. No, I don't think Memphis was there, but he had some he had some summer league moments. Okay. So the, the I I remember seeing him before. Yeah. Um but yeah, like you throw those guys in there and they were not good. Uh Aldama started hit shots late. Uh he had a couple threes late. Uh but Contra was 0 for 6 missed all of his shots. So it was just kind of interesting the guys that DiVincenzo and Jerome who were not on this team last year, and even Wiseman. Wiseman only played eight minutes, um, but I think he was the first guy off the bench, if I'm not mistaken, in this game. Um, he only played eight minutes, five rebounds. He was a plus eight. But those guys that the Warriors had who weren't on the squad last year, they fit into this game really well and met the Memphis guys who didn't play all that much during the playoffs. They did not. So I thought that was, uh, that was kind of an mm. interesting telltale sign in sort of getting up for these big games, getting your team ready for these games. The Warriors definitely saw it as like, we need to show these guys who won the title. And the Memphis guys came into it kind of like, we're better than these guys, so we should beat them. And it was an interesting, different kind of style for each. And uh, the the Warriors, they can do it for big games, but it doesn't seem like they can always do it for the big games because they did the same thing for Boston. They They played Boston... You know, we I think we called that the best game of the year, that yeah. game or Memphis, whatever one. But and then, you know, and then they can't get up for Charlotte for some reason. And they let Charlotte hang around to the point where I was like, we barely deserve to win this basketball game, beating Charlotte by five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, do you want to talk about the jaw quote? Yeah, go ahead. What did he say? He was like, we're not worried about anyone in the West to Malika. So I think was it was it Malika. Malika said, Rooks? I think I think it was Malika. Yeah. She said something like, you know, who, who, what team are you worried about? And he said, Boston. And then she said, what about in the West? And he said, nobody. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that I, I kind of, I, I like Memphis's vibe where it's like, you know, everybody versus us. And I just think that sometimes you can keep that mentality and keep that, vibe but you gotta like I, I don't think you can victimize yourself when things don't go your way and i think there was like a dylan brooks quote after the game that was kind of like sad and mopey and like complaining and then even last year when uh the coach i think taylor jenkins is his name he was like com- he was like ready to call the cops on jordan pool for yeah, yeah. the like I, I i think it's all fun because i like their team it's very homegrown they seem to all really like each other and uh, are like friends off the court yep but I think that they just they just can't whine and complain and victimize themselves when things don't go their way, like a loss like that. I mean, you put a vet on that team, and and yeah, Steven Adams been in the league for a while. Give them Jay Crowder. Somebody like that who has been in the dogfight of the playoffs and who can kind of settle the team down a little bit and just be like, Yeah, you know, we we need to we need to walk before we can run. And that may be the big thing for them is to get someone who's a little bit tested because then the way that they come in and they come in with this bravado and then they get smacked in the mouth like right away, then you go, okay, like we can come back from this. Like it's like we, the, we're we going to get on a run and we'll figure this out. 
they didn't have that. It was up to Ja. Essentially, it became up to Ja because the Warriors were like, okay, we're taking away, especially with Jaron Jackson not playing, we're taking away everybody else. You can pass it to Steven Adams. We know he's not doing jack crap. Like Steven Adams is never going to be a problem for the Warriors because they don't, they don't, they're not scared of his offense. He's he's gonna get rebounds. Absolutely. They're not scared of his offense, and they just want to pull him out uh, uh on the perimeter for defense. Like he he's not a problem for them. So who's the guy that can come in and, and sort of settle things down? Um Brandon Clark is I don't think he's a good enough defender to be that player. But uh, they do need a vet, and and that's if you're looking at trade deadline stuff. Um, for uh, I, I don't know who you would be willing to to give up, but they do need a vet to kind of figure. You know, they need a David West, right? They need somebody mm-hmm. like that who who can kind of kind of go, okay, let's pull it back, and let's just trust the system here, and let's go. Yeah, and the last thing I think about Memphis is that, well, I mean, even in the crowded situation, like I can't see the Suns like giving it up to like a direct rival or a direct competitor. That's uh, also contending as well as them. Um, but I feel like if you're Memphis and again, I actually don't have a problem with them saying that, like, I think it's fun. They just got to be ready to accept the criticism, mm-hmm. but I think it would make more sense coming from a team like Boston or Milwaukee probably more Boston because of how high they are in the standings and how many games back most of the teams in the East are. Whereas in the West, it's still like the sixth seed is like three games back from first place. When yeah. Josh said that they were the one seed fast forward two days later, they're the three seed. Yeah. <laughs> then they got, beat, like, they got beat again. Who do they lose to Phoenix? I know they lost to the Warriors and the Suns. I don't yeah. know if they've played another game after that. Yeah. They lost to the Warriors and the Suns, and now they are uh 20 and 13. Still, though, really good team. Re- really good record, really good team. They're gonna be fighting in the playoffs, they're gonna be in the mix. And uh I think and, it's really good for basketball for the NBA that they're good. A small market team, homegrown, homegrown superstar. I would like, love to fun. see a I would love to see a Pelicans Grizzlies playoffs. Oh job. my god, that would be awesome. Zion. Um, but but yeah, the <laughs> just looking at the standing. So the Warriors currently are 18 and 18. They are 10th behind the Jazz, who they just beat. And behind the Blazers, who they play tomorrow, I believe. Mm-hmm. And so they could pick up a game if they win that game. Or they could get a, get another game picked up on them if uh, if they don't win. So everything from... I mean, even the Suns at 20 and 16, they're a little bit closer to the Warriors than, uh, than, than you would have thought based on the two teams playing each other already. But the Warriors are only... Um, gosh, what would it be? Four games, four, five games, maybe out of first place, which I think is kinda, six, five or six. Yeah. Five, yeah, or, five six. or six, which is kind of ridiculous, right? Like you look at that and it's like the way that they played, it's ridiculous, but they're only, uh, they're only like two and a half, uh, away from the, uh, no, two, full, two full games away from the Suns uh, for that fifth slot. And that's kind of where they need to angle up. It's like five and six is where you want to be. You don't want to be in seven, eight. Uh, because then you got to play in that that tournament. So yeah, not not too bad here. And and depending on how they do in the next five games of this homestand, um, you n- you never know. All they got to really do is go like three and two, and you consider it you know an excellent homestand. So there were I feel like expectations are higher now though. Uh, well, well, let's look at the schedule then. So the um, easy. Who's so who's I the believe hard it's 
the Suns Port- would be the hardest team, you think? Yeah. Portland Suns, what? Detroit and Orlando. So Friday, the Blazers. Monday, the Hawks. Wednesday, the Hawks. game we're going to is the Pistons game. Then the Magic. The Magic are feisty. Yeah. Um. The but the Warriors will have about three three games, uh, three days of rest, so they should be able to to catch the Magic. Uh, and then Tuesday against the Suns, and and then they're they're uh, on the road uh, against teams that they could beat. By the way, though, Spurs, Bulls, and Wizards right out of the gate. Oh for, my goodness! For the road this trip. Be, yeah, this could be a really good stretch of games for them. It all it favors them. The matchups and what they're going through, like even Phoenix with Devin Booker missing a lot of time, he's not even going to be playing that game. I think there's some. There's some internal stuff with the Hawks right now, too, with Trey Young. I don't know how much that's going to affect it, but I want to say like the Hawks might even be the toughest competition and maybe the Blazers, depending on who's healthy and who's who's available. I'm pretty sure Dame's back. Hawks are 17 and 18. Ninth, yeah. ninth in the uh, in the east there. So, yeah, I mean, these are winnable, winnable games for the Warriors. Uh, God, those poor Raptors are 15 and 19. Wizards 15 and 21, Magic 13 and 23, uh, Pistons 9 and 28. Your Pistons, the worst team currently in the NBA. It's unbearable to watch. Like, you can't <laughs> watch. And our Killian Hayes just like straight up sucker punch. Eh, not really sucker punch, kind of sucker punch. I feel like he should have expected something. But Moritz Wagner, mm-hmm. uh, Franz's brother, for, for hip checking him out of bounds. And he, and he flew into the bench, and Killian kind of got him on the side of the head. Through an actual punch in a basketball game, you rarely see that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, what did he get? How many games did he get suspended? It's not announced yet, but I think a lot of Pistons fans are kind of pointing to the. Remember when Jokic like straight up just went at one of the Morris twins last he, like, year? Shoulder checked him in the back or something, right? And his yeah back was completely turned, like wasn't expecting, and then the guy got whiplash, like barely played the entire year. I think it was Markeith. Mm-hmm. Um, he, Jokic got one game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like probably should have gotten more. Uh yeah. Punch is a little different though, because punch is intention, like intention to hurt somebody. I don't know when Jokic is like what, probably pushing almost three hundred pounds there with how tall he is. Like yeah, but he could have. I mean, he could have threw a punch too, and it may have done. It may have been. Worse. I almost think Jokic bulldozing someone would be more harmful than a punch. <laughs> punch the back of the head. And, then yoke a Jokic punch. I feel like yeah, Jokic is a big guy. I don't want to get bulldozed by that guy. Uh, okay, so this uh, these first three games. Now I want to look at them in in the proper the proper outlook, the proper conversation here. Three and zero to get back to five hundred after they gave away all those games on the road. Is that Memphis game a turning point? Because we thought the Boston game was a turning point, and it turned out not to be. Now some of that was Steph getting hurt, uh, Andrew getting hurt. But could they build upon this Memphis game and make it a little bit of a statement? And you know the how the Warriors turned their season around, and it and, you know the the year end uh, DVD that comes out is is about this Christmas game because mm-hmm. the Grizzlies were thinking they were the you know they were the new team, and the Warriors had to show them who was the champion still. So I, I kind of wonder if they could look at that from a narrative standpoint, but at the same time. I kind of want to see them win on the road 
before I even make any proclamations like that. Yeah, that was going to be what I would say was, you know, I don't want to get too ahead of myself. We saw what happened in Boston. It looked like the turning point. Then boom, Milwaukee, back to back Indiana. You lose both of those. So I think with the Memphis one, I want I think the turning point is more like Phoenix to San Antonio. How do those two games look? Phoenix at home and then San Antonio away. I want to I think I'll make my judgments there. And I shouldn't because San Antonio you should realistically kill them, but I still would like to see if they have almost like a Minnesota Timberwolves how they played the Minnesota Timberwolves when the Timberwolves were home and they killed them. Mm-hmm. Like one of the only two road wins or two or three road wins they have and that's one of them they killed them. I want to see them kill the Spurs. And kill the and kill the wizards too. I think that would, and that's again that shouldn't show that there's a turning point because those teams are bad and the Warriors should beat them. But it's like the Warriors are like a Detroit Piston when they're on the road. What would you predict their record to be at the yeah. end of this uh, at the end of this homestand? So they're three and zero now. Eight and zero would be a perfect homestand. I realistically only see them losing one game max. Okay, and who is that too? It's either to Atlanta or Orlando. I think we're gonna I think the Warriors are going to bring their A game against the Suns and try to just like kill them without book. I think if they lose a game, it is Portland. Oh, Portland, Port I should have said Portland. They usually beat Portland, but you know but Steph without Steph. There that that dame is a little bit more of a problem though dame and pool will be really fun uh i still i still kind of worry about the suns because the warriors just don't match up well against the the length of that team i think this current version of the warriors do i think my main question is that what happens when wiggins comes back we already saw they sent the the rollins and pbj down to santa cruz that probably means wiggins is coming back when steph comes back when Jermichael Green even comes back, like all these young guys who I feel like are getting really uh, beneficial run and like getting to getting to play well and play bad, like they're going to get pushed out of the rotation except for Kaminga probably. And it's like, I'm, I'm just, I, I, I'm just wondering what that version of the Warriors is going to look like. I still feel like Bridges and Aiton, um, CP is going to give him problems if he's playing. Just for whatever reason, both times they played the Suns this year, there was this clear line between the two teams. I said, oh, wow, the Suns are like way better this year. And so, so the Warriors do need to sort of figure that thing out. And I would like to see that happen. But, you know, like you're saying, the rotation, and we'll talk about that here in a second, the bench has seemed to gel and had they've seemed to figure things out. Uh, Ty Jerome is uh, he's kind of Steve's uh, run stopper a little bit. Like when things get a little bit out of control, he brings in Ty Jerome to calm things down because he is a true point guard versus, you know, is Jordan. He, though? he he pulls the ball out and he runs plays. And I feel like that's I feel like Steve all Kerr he likes. does. I feel like all he does, like I, I, we need to put respect on Ty Jerome's name. I'm mm-hmm. with you there, but mm-hmm. I feel like his offense, and I don't mean to compare him to these players, but his offense is very like CP three slash Cade Cunningham. Like where it's like, you get the big to, to set you a pick and it's very slow moving up to the free throw line for you to either take your floater or to kick it to the big man. And he takes the floater almost every single time. So I'm wondering 
what happens when like why what I mean, he's not a player you game plan against, but maybe you should. And maybe I would just tell the guy, I would tell the coaches, um, I would tell my players, like, like stop the shot. Like, I, we haven't seen him really kick it to Wiseman yet. <laughs> we haven't seen him really kick it to the center in that slow pick and roll that Cade and CP are all so good at doing when the mm-hmm. shot's not there. So I'm yeah, wondering if... That's a good comparison. I was sort of thinking of it as, um, like, point guard Kyle Anderson. Like yeah, just <laughs> super deliberate, herky jerky. It doesn't look smooth. No, and I'm so surprised when he gets these shots off. But then we actually looked up his height when six we were five. watching that Memphis game, and we're like, "How is this dude six five? He looks like he's six three. Yeah. But if he is six five, then that that's partially why, right? Because Jordan is also six five. No, Jordan's six four or six three. You gotta look this up. You're, you're you bad better, with heights. You better look. You better look. I'm Jordan looking up. this up. You Jordan's better, you better six, look four. Jordan up. I want to say Jordan six. Okay. Four. Well, I mean six five, six four. They're 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 pretty similar. If Jordan was six two, then you would have a reason to call me out. But I feel like I'm no. I'm correcting you regardless. Yeah, six four. Um. So yeah. So you know maybe that's that's the thing is he just has a little bit more uh, height than we realize. The one who I still have problems with, and I know there's <laughs> there's something here for him. I know Steve likes him. Anthony Lamb, he seems like a very predictable player for me. I can almost predict every single time he shoots, whether it's going in or not. And it is solely mm. based on how open he is. Now, that you, you know, there, there's no science there, right? That's just basketball. But he shoots really well when they leave him wide open and they don't pay attention to him, or he's the last guy who the ball gets swung to yet when he is defended, it is, it is not only a miss, sometimes a bad miss. Like we're talking like air balls when he's defended. So I'm still not a a giant believer in Anthony lamb. Uh, He had actually a nifty play yesterday where he, he, he either got a steal or a rebound and he had to split two guys. And then he kind of did this like, I don't I would I don't know if it was a euro step or the, just like this long step and he kind of did a little bit of a reverse. I was like, wow, I've, I haven't seen that before from this dude. So that was kind of nice. But he's this predictable. He's like the Ty Jerome wing uh, of players. And maybe that's good for Kerr because he knows, OK, they're not they're not going to turn this ball over because they're trying to create something out of nothing. They know what their limits are and thus they'll 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 pass it out before it gets to that moment. But yeah, I'm still waiting for I, I I've I've I wouldn't say I've been won over by Jerome because I also noticed on the other end, if a team's gonna get hot from three, a lot of the times it's him. A lot of times it's Jordan too, but they they have a hard both of those guys have a hard time getting over screens and uh, defending or or getting out and, and defending the three. But yeah, Anthony Lamb, I'm still I'm not 100% convinced, but Ty Jerome is winning me over a little bit, so I'm definitely putting a little bit of, of respect on his name. Yeah, I almost go like the opposite way of being predictable. I almost think, and maybe just to me, that Anthony Lamb is almost more unpredictable. Like, I think it's predictable you could tell if the shot's going in or not, but again, that play that he got a steal and split two guys, he had someone running right with him. Like, I would be like, pass the ball. You know, I would think the defenders are like, okay, we probably scared him into passing the ball. Who is this guy? This guy's really not going to try to shoot over two of us. And I feel like Anthony Lamb had a couple of those plays where it's like, okay, pass the ball, dude. And he ends up just, <laughs> whenever he gets a fast break now, he's just like kind of putting it up and, and, and on his own when he has guys with him, running with him. And I was like yelling at the screen for him to pass it too, and he wouldn't. And he's a guy who would like, with like seven seconds left on the shot clock, like I've seen him just pull up 
pull a three straight in someone's face. It's like he's almost unpredictable in that sense where I think that that's been working for him. And Ty Jerome, too, a little bit, not as much as Lamb, but like the fast break three pointers, those are so dumb. I keep yelling at the screen as well. Like, why are you taking those shots? And he did. And he actually hit one last night. Uh, he has what Wiseman and Moody running on both corners. And he's like, oh, I'm Ty Jerome. I'm going to take a you know why the shoot co- it right you know here. why the coaches would say to shoot that shot, though, if it's a three on two. Then Wiseman can get the rebound, or you have you have the you have the rebound advantage. They didn't. (laughs) Uh, I think they did two of them, and they they missed one. They didn't get the rebound. So you know who would pass that ball when you're talking about on who who's who's kind of going one on two. You know who passes that ball in today? Draymond, Kuminga. Oh. Yeah, you Kuminga's see Kuminga yeah. dropped it off to Ty Jerome of all people on the on the two on two. Hey, I've been saying, man, when I was watching that Ignite stuff, like a lot of Kuminga playmaking, and I, I'm really excited to see how much he continues to incorporate that into how he's playing right now. Because I mean, he's one of the only people that actually like looks to find Wiseman. All right, let, let I want to do a little bit of a grading thing here because I want to talk about the bench. Um, without Steph, without Wiggins. A lot of these bench guys are, are playing more. You know, Draymond, Draymond, I know he's been a little hampered. He didn't even play a lot yesterday. He played when it mattered, though. Looney, I feel, has been uh, he's not a, he's clearly not as good as when they have their their best starting five out there. When when you know when Jordan is like playing a little two-man game with him and you know, Looney cuts and it's like, do I drop it off to Looney? Because there's a 50% chance he's fumbling this ball out of bounds. And so they do it and then he fumbles it out of bounds. And but yeah, he's he's clearly not as good of a player with with this uh with a couple of uh, of their best players out and three of them yesterday. Um, but uh yeah, I just want to go through the the guys and and see what you would have what you would have given their grade for the season. Um and then what you sort of feel like their grade could be or, or 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 should be at this point in the season after these three home games and maybe at the end of this homestand. And we can start with Wiseman because I would say before he gets sent down uh, to Santa Cruz, he was probably like a D in, in an how, F. Yeah, D or an F in how poorly he was playing. And now since he's gotten back and since he's been um He's pretty. He's been a pretty responsible player. There are a couple times where he'll sh- just shoot it because he knows that he's not getting the ball back. I would say he's been like a B minus, like a B minus B since yeah. he came back. I think my thing with Wiseman, I would probably say a B too, but I I don't know how to figure it out. But the whole cat and mouse pick and roll thing, I still feel like he has a really hard time navigating. Mm-hmm. Again, I have no clue how I would handle it in that situation too. But if he could figure that out, like that would be, you know. B plus a minus type of thing, but yeah, really low, low before Santa Cruz, a little, a little rough when he got back to against the Knicks and then the big nets game was great. Um, and yeah, since that nets game, he's probably been, yeah, like a B or B plus. Cause we thought we think those, you know, we said it watching before looking at Twitter, like that felt like, you know, one of his best games in a warrior uniform against Memphis mm-hmm. and he didn't score any points. He just did all the right things and, made it very uncomfortable at the rim for a guy like even like jaw to finish at like that's that was like that would terrify me having Kaminga and Wiseman two athletic freaks just jump as high as possible to contest your shot and it looked yeah that looked that was really impressive there's I, I wonder if the team wants him to really really dive hard at the rim 
because yesterday there was a shot that he took where if, if he would have just caught the ball to free throw line like he did and, and put a little baby jumper up there, that was, you know, that he can hit that shot. But instead, he took that one dribble and went long and like laid it off high off the backboard, didn't hit the rim. So I, I would like to see him get that ball and, you know, he can shoot that jumper, just shoot that little free throw jumper too, just show off because if you can hit that shot, then the next time you get the ball there, they kind of got to pay attention to you. And then maybe you pump fake and you go to the hole. So I want to see a little bit more of that. But yeah, I mean, much better. B minus. I'm completely fine. B minus B for him. And yeah. I, and I like you, like when he comes into the game, I'm like excited because I want to yeah. see what he's going to do. Kaminga say Kaminga same thing, but Kaminga has been a part of the rotation of late. So you're just like, okay, he's in. But when no Wiseman comes, like, okay, I want to. I just want to see him play well. I've, I'm push, pulling so hard for him to play well. Yeah, and it feels like lately they're putting him, they're matching him up against specific types of centers. Against the Utah Jazz, it was Walker Kessler. Kessler. He would kind of go in when Kessler was in. The game before against Charlotte, it was the rookie Mark Williams. I forget if he was getting put in during the Minnesota game against a specific player. I'm not entirely sure if he went in when someone else on Memphis was going in. But I think Walker Walker Kessler is probably a tougher matchup. But I think we need to just keep an eye on, I guess, like if if he starts getting put in. You know, maybe not against that type of archetype of center because they're both Mark Williams and, and Walker Kessler are both profile as like these like uh, kind of shot blocking, good defensive, big centers. And I mean, we're get, once we get to the Detroit game, like Jalen Duran is the best out of those three in mm-hmm. that category. So we'll see with that. So uh, Kaminga, let's talk about Kaminga. I would say before these last two weeks. I would say he was probably around the C plus ish. And I feel like he's fitting in very well. He's not sitting out on three point line. He's attacking. He's creating. He's grabbing boards in the Utah game. Uh, was it Beasley who who he had in the corner and he literally just stole the ball from him, like took it out that of was, his hands? Later. That was the Charlotte game. That was against PJ Washington. Okay, that's what it was. Um, and so those type of plays almost like nobody but Draymond can make that kind of defensive play on this Warriors team. Uh, Some of the decision-making that he makes is very Draymond-esque as well. Iguodala-esque. And I think he's been like a B-plus in these last couple weeks. I'm not going to give him a grade like pre-rotation because, you know, how I was vouching for him. I was, you know, really trying to say how he should be in this rotation and they just never really played him or was spot minutes. Um, I'm giving him an A. I think that he is like essential to what they've been able to do in these wins. And even in like, like I think the previous Utah game as well, the one where Fontecchio hits the buzzer beater because Poole gets it stolen on the last possession. Like he was awesome in that game too when he got into it with Jordan Clarkson. Mm-hmm. Like he's been, you know, showing these showing these spurts of uh, really impressive minutes. Consistency, you know, though, cons- was, was, was consistency a problem. Consistency is tough, but I don't get it. Like, even in the Charlotte game, when he played really well, played the entire fourth quarter, like, he didn't play in the third quarter at all. And I just thought that was weird. Like, there's no consistency in his minutes either. So, I mean, I think that when what he brings to the table in terms of his skill set, like, turning into what I've been saying, like, a point-of-attack defender where he's, like, really trustworthy... And one of the he's gonna he's gonna be an all 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 defense guy. Like I think that's what he's going to be in his career at some point. And I mean he looks as good as the best of them right now. Um, 
And then like, as well as his like ability to finish and his, his ability to like really get those tough rebounds too. It's just like, it's everything you would want in a player. And I just don't understand why he hasn't been getting like consistent minutes in a consistent rotation. It's just been, it's just been all over the place. So I would like to see him, you know, get that consistency. Uh, okay. So I feel like Moses Moody is kind of like a C and he's probably still like a C. He's not getting any consistency in his minutes. He's almost like an N.A. because I don't know. I, I It's kind of hard, too, because he seems like he's a really relaxed kind of guy and you want to see a little bit more fire from him. You know, you want to see a little bit more like show your rage. We know that you're not happy sitting here playing behind all these guys. But, yeah, I, I mean, I, I I wouldn't really change my grade on him. He hasn't really shown much since yeah. uh, so of late even. Yeah, I think with Moody, it's like I would just directly point to what PBJ did last night where it's like every time Patrick got the ball, he really just shot it from three. And I feel like Moses kind of strays away from that. And maybe he's still shooting is, like almost 40, right? Yeah. 38%. Like it's, it's awesome, but I still feel like he passes out of some shots that he should probably be taking or second guesses himself. Whereas Patrick was just like, I don't get playing time. I'm just throwing this dang thing up. Yeah. And that and, was, and that's uh, why they put him in too. Yeah. And I, I would like Moody to have that. Because I think Moody's a better shooter than Patrick. I think Moody has better arc on his shots, and Patrick's kind of feel like a little more laserish. Mm-hmm. I don't know how consistent that can be. His shot really looks right like a uh, junior version of KD's shot, like how straight it is. Mm-hmm. I can see that. Okay, yeah. Ty Jerome. You know, I was not a fan of his. I would have placed him around the C range, but the last two weeks, last three weeks. Especially these last uh, last three games, I thought he's played pretty well. Man, um, yeah, I don't know, A minus probably for me. I think these last three games, he's been like whatever above an A plus can be. <laughs> like, he's like one I of think, the best players on the team. I think yeah, when you put it into context, like a two way guy providing these really good minutes and and a lot of points, like that's just like the best two way guy you can really get, right? Like out of all the two ways available, like that's just really solid from what he's been bringing in, in that context, but. I'm really interested on in what they do because, you know, Marcus tweeted that they're at like 28 or 23 games out of their like 55 that two ways are allowed. So I'm wondering, like, are they going to sign one of them as the 15th guy? Cause they kept that 15th roster spot open and maybe just like bring back Quindary Weatherspoon as a two way guy as well to fill that other vacant spot. Once they sign one, mm-hmm. I don't know what they're going to do, but that is interesting that we've been relying on Anthony lamb and Ty Jerome so much. And they've been providing a lot for what they're, what they currently are in the roster and you know we're almost halfway through the games that they're even allowed to play Mm -hmm. uh okay and then anthony lamb he's he was he's sort of been just like a c plus for me all season i'm not sure that has changed necessarily though you've mentioned this in the past he does shoot from three for for a nice percentage but my my concern has always been um yeah, because he's the fifth option on the floor and they leave him. He's the yeah. guy who's left open. I, Whenever they defend him, it, it's not going in. So I, I'm sure, but the makes count, right? So the makes count. I, I would can, yeah, I would keep my grade with him as well. I don't think that, I don't know if I would change it or not. I think he's actually, like, if you just do like the past three games, I think he's actually been like a terrible three-point shooter. Mm-hmm. But, um, because I think he's like one of 10 in the past two or something like that. It hasn't been great, but... I'd probably give him a B just because I feel like, you know, he 
he doesn't second guess at all. He kind of just does things and you may like it or you may not like it, but there was, there's like a lot of good things that he does. And I think that once defense is just like kind of adjust, he's probably made useless, but until they do just keep doing it. All right. I, I, I would have given uh, Patrick Baldwin and Ryan Rollins a little bit of an incomplete before yeah. because they didn't really play much, but uh, Patrick Baldwin has gotten a little bit of run and he has thrown it up. So it's really good to see. What what do you see? Because Tim and Marcus and Anthony on plus minus were trying to figure out like who he could be. And I like uh, their Tim, comparison. I Tim, like Anthony's. Well, well, Tim has always said Davis Bertans. Like he's he he would bring that one up. Also, Maxi Kleber is another one that that you could bring up. When I was watching that game yesterday, I was like, man, imagine if he could do if he could be a poor man's marketing. And I think somebody mentioned that on the show as well. Just that, you know, that six ten guy who can just shoot from the outside. You got to keep, you got to watch for him. Um, and he can also just get rebounds because he's tall. But the thing about him and, and just athletically, he looks so old. He, he plays like an old man, like just his body. It looks like it hurts for him to run. That's how bad it looks. <laughs> but so so that's probably a reason why he won't get more than, you know, your you know, 5 minute stints, maybe one or two 5 minute stints a game even if he's playing well because of the defense thing. But uh but yeah, who who could he turn into? Is it is it a poor man's marketing? Like who who's who's the person? I think I think the marketing comparison is so tough because like what is a poor man's marketing? Like marketing is able to basically finish at like all three levels right now and is playing like an all star type of campaign, whereas offensively Baldwin has just been a three point shooter. So I've been, I mean in high school, you know, one of the highest ranked prospects out of that class, and then gets that tough injury in like junior year of high school. But I don't know what his what his shot selection was there. But like just right now, he's shooting threes and he shot like one runner last game. So I kind of got to see more if he does some fadeaway stuff in the mid range mm-hmm. to make a better prediction. But right now, like yeah, it's just a three point shooter. So I thought Slater's 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 comp, Michael Porter Jr. Mm-hmm. potentially. And I thought that that one was he was just saying in the similar similarities of three point skill at that like six ten size. I think Porter Jr. is probably six eight or six nine. But like there is some similarities that like don't really always pertain to basketball with those two, where I think that they were both top high school prospects in like the ESPN 100 of their high school tenures, both go to college and sustain like some injury that like stunts them from playing that much ball in college. I think both of them actually went to a, a less competitive school because their dads were coaches there. Unless the Porter, I think Porter either went because his dad was a coach or his whole family went to that school. I can't entirely remember, but remember Porter had that back thing mm-hmm. where like, you know, he I was feel like he it. still has that. back. He still thing. has the back thing. He's just coming back from it last year, too. And he went through it in college. And, you know, again, both top high school guys who fall late, fall later in their in their draft, whereas Porter went in like, I think the 14th or 15th, maybe 14th to 20th range and Baldwin goes all the way to 28 for the Warriors. Um, I just think there's really interesting similarities in not just like you know, the ability to shoot at that size, but also some of the, their, their journeys to where they could potentially be and where they are now are kind of similar with the whole, with the, yeah, the injury stuff and being high top guys at high school and not getting as much run in college. I feel like that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Where did he went to school in Missouri or something? Yeah. 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 I think Michael Porter jr. Did. 
Um, yeah, you know, the, that's the thing with him is you just hope. Is, uh, according to NBA.com, Michael Porter Jr. is also 6'10". Okay, 6'10". There you go. Um, yeah, that would be exciting if he could be that. But oh I, just, I just feel like Michael Porter Jr. has a, just a different level of, of athletic ability than than Baldwin. Um, I don't know. I, I've... I think Michael Porter Jr. just is more of a sharpshooter at different at different levels than just. But there's also points. a smoothness to his game that Baldwin doesn't yet hasn't yeah. shown yet. I don't know, uh, but yeah, that I mean that'd be a great. That's a great upside for him if he could. You know, there if they if they can go okay, you know, in two years you're going to be a scorer for us. That's fantastic to get at the end such of that a first good round. Yeah. yeah, and Ryan Rollins on the other hand. Uh, hasn't he he's shown that he is very young i think that's what he has shown yeah uh, every time he gets in the game he's chucking man he's chucking and he's turning the ball over those are one of those are the two things that he's going to do but you know he's he's got a little bit of athleticism to him and he's oh, got yeah. a little bit of dynamic ability to him so he you know he's not going to get the run now for sure but uh He's, you know, he he's got some some upside, and hopefully he can just play in Santa Cruz and and ball out there, and uh, and you know maybe next year or something, you know maybe they could utilize him in some way. But he's he's gonna be stuck behind guys like Ty Jerome because those are the guys, you know, he Ty Jerome played on a national championship team, and he he's been fighting on rosters, and he's hungry, and you know that could be Rollins's career also, right? Sort of like you know, having to fight for his spot and that will make him a better player and a tougher guy probably than, uh, than, than just getting, you know, getting run as a young player on a great team. Uh, Cause that, that's kind of what separates someone like Ty Jerome from, uh, from some of these other guys is just, he's literally had to fight for every opportunity to play. And that's kind of how he plays. He just, he, he looks like he's, you know, fighting for his next meal, like kind of, kind of type of player. Yeah. Um, I think I've said it on this podcast a couple of times, but I'm really interested in what he can, if he kind of locks up on the defensive side, if he could be a good defensive player, because I think he's got like a six ten or seven foot wingspan, something insane like that. So yeah, that's, I think, I think you're probably onto something there with him fighting for a spot, but didn't the Warriors like sign him to like a two year or three year contract? <laughs> yeah. like, um, so last thing, uh, there's two updates here. Uh, Wiggins is not playing on Friday. But Ooh. they kind of they they kind of think that it might be his last game that he has to sit out. So maybe uh, uh, Monday in Atlanta uh, that he can play. Jermichael Green also has a leg infection, and I don't know exactly what that means. But the way that Slater tweeted it out, he said he is listed out with a right lower leg infection. He has been in health and safety protocols. I wonder if he got like a staph infection. He got or leg something. COVID. Yeah, what well, what I I mean, cause staff is crazy, right? Staff, if you can, sometimes it can be really uncontrollable. Oh wow! Yeah, and and, uh, and yeah, and and so ho- hopefully you know he's not he's not uh, doing too badly because because they got to bring back up ugly. PBJ then. Well, what? Yeah, what? Well, what does that mean though? If uh, if, if he doesn't play, that means that Wiseman is probably going to continue to get run, which I think is good for Wiseman, and. You know, we kind of talked about this last uh, podcast when we were talking about sort of like, you know, what could we give these guys for Christmas? I don't think Jamichael is going to last on this team. Not to say that the Warriors need to trade him or, or or whatever, but he 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 as a veteran is less valuable than the young players that they have. So it's like, 
he's completely expendable because the one thing that you want from the veteran is to bring in that game readiness that some of these young players don't have. But who would you rather have late in the fourth quarter to get a rebound, Kaminga or Jermichael Green? Oh, 100% Jonathan Kaminga. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That I mean, that if, if it comes down to, do you play Green? Do you play Kaminga? Do you play Green? Do you play Wiseman? You may sneak Green in in the fourth quarter ahead of Wiseman um, just to kind of, you know, to, to, to make the court a, a little bit bigger. But uh, yeah, so I don't know. We'll, we'll we'll at least at least what it looks like is by the time we go to that game against Detroit, they should uh, that Wigan should be playing by then. So that that's good to see. And and you know what the good thing about this um, this schedule? Let me pull up this Warrior schedule again. I don't think they have any back to backs. So Clay could play all of these games on the remaining. Uh, the remaining homestand. games of this homestand. Yep. And let's see here. The what only is back the next back to back. I don't know. You got it is what? not until on the road, January 15th and January 16th bulls nice. and wizards. So that, you know, that's uh and, and then they have it again soon thereafter Celtics and Cavs, which is oh. a, little <laughs> a little tougher. That's going to be a little tougher. Oh, so, but but that that just means that you know, out of the next ten games, Clay's playing eight of them or or, or whatever, right? So that's that's yeah. that's pretty good. Uh, okay, anything left before we get out of here? No, I don't. I don't think so. What's what's going on with the Bam this week? Taking breaks. No way, you're going yeah. dark. Well, Bam's it's just for the, going dark. It's just the Christmas thing. I'll, I'll try to maybe get a pot out on like Sunday or something like that. But yeah, we definitely we definitely took a Christmas break. You got you got to do like a a reels or something for the Instagram. Just so I know, dude. Have you seen like our likes on those reels are insane? Like, um, I think the I think the Deer and Fox one has like fourteen hundred with only like seven k awesome. plays. It's like weird. Yeah, it's because our. It, the the likes I feel like you should you should have more views than likes, but we have like substantially way more likes. Like even on the DeRozan one we posted, I think that's up to like twelve hundred likes now. Like our last two TikToks have, or our Instagram reels have a thousand plus likes on each of them, and all both of them are less than like ten k plays or something like that. That's good. Yeah, Actually, I know. Yeah, the, so views more views than likes. We do have more views. The one that I did on Steph. Uh, it started out a little slow, but it started to pick up. I've I've started to see like lots and lots of likes of late. So mm-hmm. I'll have to yeah, look that one weird. up and see them. I think I think they I think it was at like two or three hundred or something. So all right. Um if you are listening via podcast on your podcast player and have a, a couple of seconds and can throw us a five star review on Apple Podcasts uh l- little website there. Uh, and if you want to drop a review, we would love to see that because uh, I, w- I would love to read some of these reviews uh, as they come in. Um, and uh, if you are listening or you are watching us via YouTube, give us a little subscribe there. I would love to, for us to get to 100 subscribe, uh, subscribed accounts uh, in, in, in the near future. That's a nice, nice little number there, 100. You know, for a channel that, you know, we only have, I think, less than 75 subscribers on this channel. We still get a good number of, of views on some of these videos. I think I put up a uh, a Jimmy Garoppolo and um, Brock Purdy because uh, Rod and I asked the question on the on the podcast: If healthy, 
and neither guy is hurt come playoff time between Jimmy Garoppolo and Brock Purdy, who do you play? You asking me? Well, that that was the question. We we've gotten oh. 170 views over the last day on that on that. Did video. you get comments on what's like the uh-huh. consensus? Well, and everyone's anti Jimmy. <laughs> it's yeah. just it's just who it is. It's just who it is. But who who would you play? Who would you would you be a Brock guy? Would you be a Jimmy guy? I think I need a couple more weeks to answer that. But as of now, I think I'd be a Brock guy. I just think Jimmy is so limited um, with with where he can take you and what he can do. So. And that is just a little bit of a preview of Rod and I coming back on Sunday on New Year's evening. We're not going to be back after the game because I'm going to be out with family. But probably I'm going to say eight o'clock Pacific time or so right around that time, seven or eight. Rod is in Las Vegas, though. So we'll see that that may change some things. He's going to be. Oh, is he going to the game? I don't know if he's going to be in, at the game or not, but I know he's out in Las Vegas right now and was saying he was staying through next weekend. So maybe cool. he will go to the game. I'm not sure that that game might be a little dangerous though. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so we'll be back. And, and uh, I think I would lean that what I answered on the podcast, I think is I would lean slightly Jimmy just because he's been in these big games. Yeah. But the way, the reason to lead, lean uh, towards Brock is because he can just get out of the pocket and he can, you know, create some time with his legs, and uh, he's not afraid to throw downfield either. So those those are good things. But yeah, you know, like you said, two more games, and my answer may be a little bit different. All right, we're gonna get out of here. We'll be back next week after we go to the game. So we'll, we'll this is our this is my first time this year seeing the Warriors in person. So I'll, I'll, I'm excited to go and see what the what the thoughts are, and hopefully they just beat the crap out of Detroit because Detroit, the worst team in the NBA, Killian Hayes punching people in probably the head. won't be there for that game. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so for Bry, I'm Double G. We will see you when we see you. Peace out.